You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. The leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest this week is Dave Knoll. Now, whether or not you recognize his name, I am sure you are familiar with his work because Dave is a TV show creator of over 60 television shows, the biggest of which... You have probably watched on the Food Network. It is the series Chopped, which just crossed 1,000 episodes. Utterly amazing. He's also the author of the upcoming book, The Visionary in Charge, which I love. And look, his whole career is based on talking and the art of pitching ideas. What better opportunity is there to look at influence in a very, very specific and regularly encountered moment, the art of the pitch. So this is what we're going to talk about today. Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. That was a spectacular introduction. I would like you to be the only person who introduces me from now on. <laughs> we can talk about that afterwards and see what we can make happen. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, that guy sounds great. He should definitely be on <laughs> many shows. He sounds amazing. Well, I think he should definitely listen to this episode when it's done. That's my general advice moving forward. So we're clearly going to have a lot of fun today. So to kick us all off, as if that wasn't fun enough, what's your fun fact, Dave? Oh, for my life has been so much fun. There's so many. But one thing that's weird about me that I, for some reason, never talk about is at one point I was in Giant Stadium. It was empty except for me and famed quarterback Dan Marino. And we were playing football on the field. No way. How'd you get to play football with Dan Marino? An insane moment. One of my first jobs right out of college was an internship for some minor league football thing. I think it was called the World League of American Football. Anyway, Dan Marino was the commentator. And it was my job to hand out all the VIP passes. And to uh, I was VIP pass nerd. And I got to stand on the sidelines during the games and stuff. But there was a day where they were rehearsing, etc. And everybody was bored. And I was there doing VIP passes. And and freaking Dan Marino comes out with a football and he says, do you want to play catch? Of course he does. He just walks right up to you. He's like, want to play catch? Oh, my gosh. I was like, yes, I I think that would be good. It actually hurt. That was the interesting thing. He didn't miss, obviously. And I caught every single ball. I was so nervous, but you couldn't not catch it. But it hurt every time. I was in pain for like the next week. It's just like hits her right in the sternum, the perfect shot. It's just like lazy. Yeah, it hurt every place. I was. It was hard to breathe for like 10 days. But you know what? What didn't hurt was your ego because you actually caught all the balls. I would have been butterfingers all over the place out of nerves. And then I just would have felt stupid on top of hurt wherever it made impact on the shoulder or my head or whatever it ended up connecting with. And it's a silly, great story. I still can't believe it happened. It's it's so weird. It is a lot of fun. Okay, I'm going to match you football story for football story. When I was in eighth grade, one of my best friends, Kathy, her aunt, who I swear I'm not making this up, was a nun, 
was the honorary assistant coach for the Giants. So we went to spring training with them at Fairleigh Dickinson University and I brought with me a football and I stood at the door of the cafeteria after lunch with a Sharpie and a football and 30 something of the 1988 New York Giants signed my football. I had it on a kicking stand in my bedroom as a little trophy forever. Oh, that's so cool. And then, I swear I'm not making this one up. It's the one thing I will never, ever forgive her for. I love you, mom. But when I went to college, she redecorated my room. Wow. And no one knows what happened to the football with 30-something signatures from the 1988 Super Bowl winning New York Giants. I was going to say, that was like, that was the, that was a time period where they were out. Oh, do you still talk to mom? Do you, you still talk to her? Yeah. Like that would have put my kids through. I do. I do love her. I, I, you know, as a Christian, a forgiveness is a very important part of love and family and whatever else that I try to practice it. But forgiveness, I guess. Dr. Laura, I'm not sure I could forgive at that point. I'm not sure. <sighs> Yeah, that hurt. It was tough. <laughs> Clearly, I haven't forgotten that whole, you know, forgive and forget part. I'm working on the first half. Someday I may get to it. But the second half, the forgetting. Clearly, I'm not quite there. So, yeah, football and television and food and chopped. And OK, so why are we here today? This clearly was a nice little tangent down memory lane of various sorts. But why we're really here today, Dave, is because, look, we're here for speaking to influence. And what better moment, make or break moment of clear evidence of when you have or have not had the influence that you want to have, but in a pitch, in a show pitch. And tell me, my understanding is that when you're pitching a show that you have basically 20 to 25 minutes, is that kind of the standard window? That's the normal time period. A pitch is about a half an hour. Usually, sometimes it's a bigger deal and there's a lot of people and you may have more time. Sometimes you know, you've heard of elevator pitches, you're in the hallway with someone or you you see somebody at a hotel and you're pitching quick. But most of the time, it's about 25 minutes. Okay, so it's not a two minute for the most part, but it's not interminable either. You've got to make your point in, out, done. And they these are people who are listening to pitches day in and day out about all sorts of topics. So they're a little hard to impress at this point, I'm guessing. Yes, they're extremely hard to impress the whole gig really is about rejection. You know going in, you're going to get rejected again and again and again. And so that's why the speaking is so important. The words you use, the title of the show, the two-liner, we call it the brief, clear, concise description of the show. That's why these things are so important because as my wife at one point pointed out, there was one day I was insanely stressed and I probably had been insanely stressed for months and she said, <laughs> I had a pitch coming up because we always have some sort of pitch coming up. I had a pitch coming up. And she said, the crazy part about your job is you really kind of don't know which one will change your life. It could be, and it could be the next one. It could be the one after. And so, yeah, if you mess up that one that could have changed your life, that would be bad. And you can't do that. You have to take each pitch very serious. I mean, you really have to go in with the singular focus of saying they're going to say yes to this. You can't play the odds and say, look, odds are that they're not going to say yes, but you know, maybe this will be the one. That's not the mindset that's going to win. I love saying that every pitch, really the mindset is if you can do this, every pitch is the most important pitch ever. You have to assume we had a pitch earlier today. We have one later today. We had two yesterday. Each one, as I plan for it, you assume is the next, is the greatest pitch of all time. 
is the one where I'm going to look back and go, oh my gosh, that amazing day back in 2023, that pitch changed my life. And so you have to assume. And then as soon as it's over, you have to drop it. Right, right, right. So you take the follow-up very seriously, obviously, but that kind of intensity, immediately you have to let it go because most of the time, 99 times out of 100, or 29 times out of 30, certainly, we're going to get rejected. We're going to get turned down. So if you hold all that with you, you wouldn't last very long. (laughs) So it's crazy important. You plan, you have the energy, you listen to upbeat music for 10 minutes before, you've rehearsed all these things. You execute. And then as soon as that pitch is over, I say to myself, Dave, no, great job. Uh, Amazing. Let's never think about that again. Let's move on to the next one. (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot of rejection to be able to take. And I imagine there's a lot of mindset involved in this to be able to go in there and sell those ideas with full passion, full conviction, full everything, heart, mind, body, spirit, blood, sweat, tears, knowing that the odds are, you know, 29 to 30 that you're going to get rejected. I'm curious, that brings to mind, how soon do you know? Do they, like by the end of the 25 minutes, do they say, okay, let's set up another call or, okay, we'll get back to you after we think about it. And then they may or may not ever call you back. I will say this, you learn, people say, how has it changed over the years? The one thing that I have learned is kind of the reactions. You can kind of see it in people's eyes. I can kind of see when they're really excited because what I need, what I'm trying to get across, right? What I'm, what my goal is, is I want them to love it so much that they go and sell it to their boss and the marketing team and the sales team and everyone else. So now after years, yeah, the woman that I work with, Cleve Keller, who's amazing, we can kind of tell, but basically I never know. You know, you get an email and they say, hey, we want to talk about that pitch that you pitched three weeks ago. And most of the time they call and they say, hey, we got into a room and we're passing and here's why. And then you try to ask a bunch of questions. So you get closer and closer to that amazing pitch next time. But then sometimes they call and they say, hey, we love that show and we want to move ahead. And then I, you know, celebrate. (laughs) And then I call Cleve and say, hey, let's take the rest of the day off. Congratulations. (laughs) As you should, as you should. That sounds like a day off well earned at that point, if you've had to do 29 out of 30 and and before you even get to that. So let's talk about that mindset because it's you're selling your idea in a pitch. It may or may not be a product, a service, a TV show or otherwise, but pitching is about selling ideas. It's about getting buy-in on something. And it's hard for a lot of people to think about sales because that word just has, other than people who are in sales who appreciate what it is, but it's for a lot of people, the idea, oh, I don't want to be in sales. That sounds icky somehow. It sounds, there's that image of the used car salesman kind of snake oil and trying to just trick someone out of money or something. So what's, for those who are like, I could never be in sales, what's your advice to them? Well, the first thing I think is I have this phrase, which is life's a pitch and <laughs> then you die. And it what that basically means is we're all pitching almost constantly. You need to pitch to get a job. If I think back in my life, I've pitched to get a job. I've pitched to get a wife. I've pitched to get a girlfriend. I've pitched to get a promotion. Hopefully not in that order. The girlfriend comes before the wife. It's been a complicated life. No, that's (laughs) not true. I've pitched to get television shows. I've pitched to get raises. 
And that's everyone's story, really. There is always a point where someone has to pitch. And so I think the more people get to know exactly how to do it, the better off you're going to be if you want the raise or the promotion or the job or, or whatever it is. One of the things uh, that I learned, and it took a long time to learn, is that when I'm trying to sell now that I've worked with the great Barry Diller, and I'll explain him in a second, my focus used to be to think big. Now it is, you have to think much bigger than I could ever imagine. So, so Barry Diller created the Fox Network. He greenlit the Simpsons. Tracy Ullman married with children, Beverly Hills 90210. He started all of that. He ran Paramount at one point when they were a gigantic movie studio. Of all the people I've ever worked with, of the smartest 20 things I've ever learned in my career, Diller probably said 15 of them. That's how smart this guy is. We worked together for four years. And very early on, so about six months, we've been there about six months. And our job was to create and sell and then produce shows based in New York. So he had a production company in New York and a production company in Los Angeles. And very quickly, Cleve and I, who I work with, created a show, got the talent, brought it to a very large network at the time. And usually what happens when you sell a show is we get the call and we get a development deal or we get a pilot. In this particular case, they loved it so much that they went right to eight episodes. And we were thrilled. We were absolutely thrilled. And one of my jobs was to go in once a month and present our latest projects, et cetera, to the board. And it was Mr. Diller in this very scary conference room and lawyers and money people. And there were people on screens and they were all old and scary. And I would go in and say, here's what we're doing. And for the first time in the six months we had been there, I had something big to talk about. I dressed up incredibly well that day. I had a full color presentation about this particular project. And you were pitching with Barry or pitching to Barry? I was just reporting the news. We had pitched it already and sold it. And so I was going in and saying, hey, we're awesome. Congratulations to everyone because we're about to make a ton of money and this is fantastic. So I go in. I explain the show. I explain how we sold it. I explain where we sold it. I go through our entire colorful presentation. As I say, I looked amazing. Um, and I had this presentation and there were gold uh, binder clips. I remember that. Um, that's how big of a deal it was. The binder clips were gold, Dr. Laura. Impressive. And so I did the whole thing and I smiled. I waited a beat. And then Mr. Diller said, why are we doing this again? Now, keep in mind, this is millions of dollars of television production, like say about $5 million. And so he said, why are we doing this again? And I literally laughed. I laughed at him, at his face in front of all these people because I didn't know what else to do. I went, <laughs> and then I repeated a couple points very succinctly. I had no idea what was going on. And he slid slash through the presentation across the desk, the desk, the table at me. I can still hear the gold binder clips sliding across the table. Who knew what the sound of gold binder clips was? And yet it is indelibly burned into your brain forever. It's a depressing sound is what it was. 
And, and in five words, he broke everything I had ever thought. And what did he say? He said, it's an effing lemonade stand. Ouch. And he didn't say effing, by the way, Dr. Laura. He used the actual word. So it was very intense. Wow. And I said, oh. And what he then went on to explain as he pulled the rug out from under me was he knew the talent. He knew the type of show. There was no way that show could go around the world. There was no way we we're going to do more than two or three seasons of that show. To him, the most we were ever going to make and profit off the show was $4 million, maybe five over the course of two or three seasons. That was the best case scenario. And to him, that was Lemonade Sin. He then weirdly, so I was destroyed. I was like completely embarrassed and destroyed, but then weirdly complimented us. And he said, look, you and Cleve have the ability to create the next survivor, the next American Idol, the next Wheel of Fortune or Family Feud, or even the next like Law and Order. You have the ability to create a show that could generate hundreds of millions of dollars around the world. That's why we hired you to do that. Focus on that. So how do you maintain the resilience? How do you keep your ego intact knowing that there's, and I say that with actually no irony whatsoever because nobody likes to hear no. And when you know that 29 out of 30 times, you're going to likely hear no and you have to go in and tell yourself each time, this one's going to be the yes and believe it each time, despite the odds that you have already done the math for and are aware of. How do you handle all the no? How do you stay motivated? How do you stay focused? How do you stay enthusiastic? I mean, the big thing is I don't see no anymore. I don't see it as a pass. I mean, that obviously that's huge, right? There's a couple ways I've been able to do this. One is very early on, we came up with a literal mathematic equation. And it is daunting, but yet makes life much clearer. So the mathematical equation was in a book that I read from Brandon Tartikoff, one of the great TV minds in history. He said, no matter how good the show is, you're going to have to pitch it 30 times before anybody says yes. His mindset was someone doesn't have the time slot. Even if they love it, they're not in the right mood that day. They don't have the time slot. They don't have the money. Wh whatever it is, you're, you're going to pitch it in the slightly the wrong way. You need to pitch that 30 times. So you basically, I was like, okay, we're going to have to pitch 30 times before we get a yes for anything. And then what we learned is of yeses, so of deals, you need four deals to get one series on the air. So 30 times four, that's just to get one show. I don't, I'm not, I don't know the math on that, but 30 times four is just to get something on the air. It's like 120, I believe. Thank you. That's you're the doctor. I am the TV person. I'm glad you're impressed with that extent of my math. Please don't ask me another problem. I need to keep batting a thousand. All right. Then I do know this answer because I have it written down in front of me. But then of every show you get on the air, we went to network executives and production company executives. And we said, of, the, of all the shows that get in the air, how many do you need before you get a real hit? And the answer is eight. So it was 30 times four times eight, which I know is 960. Again, just because I have it here. And I put that up in front of us. So there, there was a group of us developing shows together. And I put it up on the board basically to say, look, every pitch is that important. Yet we should all consider all these passes. If you look at it that way, every pass is not a step backward. Every pass is a step forward. 
And that was shocking that I had the foresight to do that. And I am so thankful that I did because every pass now is a step forward. It helped. Exactly. When you say pass means when they pass on something. So every no is a step forward, not a step backward. Every no, every rejection. And I think no matter what anyone is, if I'm looking for a new job, if I'm looking for a promotion, if I'm looking, you just have to consider, well, you're going to have to make that pitch multiple times. And that's, you just have to do it. I also read a story 10 years ago from the great Stephen King. And I think about it constantly. When Stephen King was very young, 12 or 13, he wrote all these stories, just constantly writing stories. And he would submit them to his favorite publications. He had all these magazines that he loved. And he saw that anyone could submit. And so from 12, 13, he got excited. He wrote something amazing and he sent it out. And of course, they rejected him. But here's the amazing thing. When he got that rejection, again, he's very seventh grade at this point, right? Like, like nothing. Eighth grade. When he got that rejection, he didn't do what a lot of people would do, which is get discouraged. He actually celebrated. He was so happy that one of his favorite publications took him seriously enough to just write him and say, no, you're not good enough. You can't think, oh, my favorite magazine just rejected me. You have to be like young Stephen King and think, I'm happy to just be in the game. I need these rejections to get the yes. And that's what we do all the time. What a great mindset. What a great mindset shift. And speaking of Stephen King, I think I recall an article that I had read years ago that he was being interviewed by Katie Couric. And she asked him, how do you always keep coming up with these amazing, creepy, scary, gory stories? And he's, it's because I have the heart of a small boy and it's in a jar on my desk. <laughs> Fantastic. That's a great line. I thought, okay, touche. I have nothing else to respond to that, but what a perfectly, for Stephen King of all people, if there's no better answer to that question. That's it. And the first half of that is so important. Whenever we're pitching, yes. whenever you, that's it. People have said to us, you guys remind me of uh, hanging out with kids that are so excited about the new show. And, it, and that's it. You have to, I have to keep in mind, I have to have that excitement level you know, that I did when I was playing ball back in sixth grade. That's the level of energy and enthusiasm I try to keep with me at all times. I think that's important because part of what sells, and you can tell me if you agree with this, but the idea, it's not really, you know, we're using the word sales, right? It's selling your ideas. Pitching is selling an idea, but it's really about getting buy-in and you're not trying to sell them smoke and mirrors. It's not magic beans. It's the idea of if you have a belief, an idea, a product, a concept, whatever it is that you truly believe will add value to the organization, to the client, to whoever it is. Is it not incumbent upon you to try to help others to understand why this adds more value to the world? And if you don't seem like you believe it, then don't bother pitching. Absolutely. Because it's clearly not that important. And if you do believe it, then it's the wrong thing to do to not share it with others, because then you're cheating everybody else from this 
value from this benefit. And that's really the heart of this. The true integrous salesperson is someone who believes what they're sharing will make the other person's life better. And so the yes that you want to get to is where they understand the value that it brings to them and ideally to others as well. So that should be the core of the root of the passion. Are we on the same page here, Dave? I see Cleve and I as TV entrepreneurs. That's that's what we are. We are creating hopefully the next great brand that people around the country and then around the world fall in love with. The network then or the streamer can put that television show on and make enormous amounts of money off of our ideas. And that's if no matter those people who are listening, if you're looking to sell anything. If, if you're looking to get the job, get the promotion, get the raise, etc. What exactly you were saying is the case. You need that mindset of, I am valuable, darn it. I will bring something to this company that no one else will. Right. And it's not, there's a difference between confidence and arrogance. You're not saying I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. You're not saying I'm God's gift to the whatever department, et cetera. But it, you do have to have the confidence that says, I can do this mm-hmm. and I commit to bringing value to you in whatever way, shape, or form. So, all right, Dave, let's do a quick pivot here. Let's go from the conceptual to the actionable. Mm -hmm. So give us a couple of tips for hearing yes, for getting to yes in those pitch. In the 960, well, gazillion pitches you've probably done at this point, what have you learned as far as the, if you want to hear yes in a pitch, you have to do this. What's the first one? Okay. The first thing I think of is... Overall, everything needs to be clear and concise. Um, And so one thing that I keep in mind constantly is that even though there's a show with a title and various acts to it and various storytelling, we're only selling one thing. That's all anyone can keep in their brain anyway. And I'm not just talking about TV executives. I'm talking about anybody. If you're going to get a new job, if you're going to get a raise, promotion... As you're going into that room, what I keep in mind is I'm only selling one thing and I have to figure out what that is. And then when you're talking, you're thinking to yourself, oh, that's the thing. Okay. Okay. Remember, they're only going to remember this one thing. So I'm going to put it here. I'm going to put it here. I'm going to put it a little bit later. What is that one thing that you're selling? Know that. Make sure you're concentrating on that. And that helps. Once we learned that, it was so helpful. Okay, I'm dying to know when you pitched Chopped for the Food Network, which, of course, now is one of the longest running shows Uh in TV history, much less Food Network. What was the one thing in that pitch? What was the one thing that you were selling in the in the concept of Chopped? With TV, it can be so many different things, right? It could be the hook of the show is so amazing. It could be the talent. We have this host that's awesome. It could be the prize. Like who wants to be a millionaire? They're, what they're selling there is for the first time ever, we're going to give away a million dollars. That's It's all, it could all be different. In Chopped, the line was that we used, what we knew at, was the biggest show, the biggest competition show on the network at that point was Iron Chef. And that was really the only show, the only cooking competition they had. And it did very well, but... In the hour, ratings would go down in the third, fourth, fifth segment and then come back up. It was only one competition. So it started off good and people were excited and then it kind of dwindled a little. And people were like, oh, let's get to the end. Let's get to the end. And then it would pick back up during the judging when you got closer to see who's going to win. Chopped, uh, 
we had basically this thought of there was a show on the air at the time called Eliminate, where it was one woman and four guys and throughout the she would date all four at once and then eliminate them one it was very sad if you were the guy who got eliminated first or second but at that, <laughs> at that point you really liked her and then she kicked you out um and so i went in to the great charles norlander at the food network and i, I kind of laughed i said hey we've got this new cooking competition and think of it as iron chef meets eliminate and he laughed and I laughed because Charles, I'm sure, knew about that show, Eliminate, but he never watched it. He's way too classy for that. The Food Network was a very classy place. It still is. So to go in and say it's Iron Chef meets Eliminate is a funny thing to say. But really what we're selling there, and I that was the through line throughout the whole pitch, is basically Iron Chef, very successful. This show is going to be big. Sure. And that's that's it. And I knew that. And so... So throughout the whole pitch, I just kept coming back to Iron Chef does well. Ours is going to have three competitions. So you get the basket, it's appetizer, main course, desserts. You get the basket, the competition starts, they talk about it. And then all of a sudden it's over. And then that that thing that you had to wait for with Iron Chef, oh, it's there. It's there in act two. And then who will be chopped? When we come back, you'll find out. Now we are onto the second one. Now there's a second competition. So that whole pitch was about you know Iron Chef. It is a hugely successful show for you. Our show is going to be bigger. And it turned out I was right. That was, that's like amazing. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I was a big fan of both shows. So I completely appreciate that. So what's your one thing? Figure out how to frame it. What's your hook? What's your one-liner? What's your, what's the one thing that you want people to remember? I've said it very frequently that whether you're pitching for two minutes or two hours presenting, pitching, speaking, et cetera. In the end, can you articulate what's the one thing where if you were to look at your audience and say, look, if you don't remember anything else that I have said today, remember this. So getting to whatever that nugget is, if you can't do it, they'll never be able to. And then they'll never be able to evangelize for you. And I use the word evangelize, of course, metaphorically speaking, but they won't be able to advocate for you. They have to be able to say, hey, I just heard this great idea from so-and-so and it was all about X. Yep, absolutely. And they're not going to spend two hours regurgitating everything that you said in two hours. They're going to distill it down to exactly. a couple of bullet points, which is the gist of what they recall. So either you feed it to them exactly in a way that's right. what I like to call tweetable and repeatable, right? Easy to understand, easy to remember, and easy True. to repeat so that they can pass it along accurately for you. Otherwise, they're going to come up with their own version of what they think you said, and then good luck. Absolutely. I was at a dinner party once, whatever this was. 10, 12 years ago. And it was two people talking to each other. And this woman uh, was saying to this dude, oh, what are you watching TV back and forth? They were going about great TV shows. And she said, oh, have you seen Game of Thrones? It had just started. And this guy had never watched it, didn't know anything about it. All at this point, all he knows is three words, right? Game of Thrones. And he said, no, what, what's that? And she's like, oh my gosh, I love it. I love it. And then she said, yeah, you know what it is. It's like Lord of the Rings, but on HBO. And you could see the wheels. And this is like, I, I just remember the moment because I personally was like, Dave Knoll, remember this. This is big. This is big. Yeah, that was genius. You could see the wheels turning in his head. And then he said, wait, so there's violence? Because it's HBO. Right. And sex, probably. And she said, oh, oh, there's violence. And he said, and there's sex? And she said, oh, there's sex. And you... 
the simplicity yep. of that pitch, right? And that's really that's what Game of Thrones wanted. That's the beauty. That's the one of the reasons it was so popular is because people could just go and say, "Oh my God, you know, like Lord of the Rings." Well, it's Lord of the Rings, but with sex and violence. Yeah. And that's the it when there's a great pitch like that, it resonates, and it's so easy for people to evangelize to go out and sell the show on their own. Yes. Yes. So that's what we want. How do you evangelize? How do you put together? Your idea in a way that conceptually just smacks somebody in the face and makes them go, I got that and I like it. Yep. And I want to tell somebody else about it. Yes. And I'm going to tell somebody else about it in a way that they're going to get it and like it and want to tell somebody else. That's the cycle that we want to create. Yeah. Yeah. And even if you're going in for a job, what is it about you? If that's that's it or a promotion or whatever it is, what's the one thing that they're going to remember and go, that is irresistible. I need this in my life. And in our company and in our department and in our product line or something along those lines of that. How do you get them to realize that you are or have something that's been missing for them that they absolutely need? Absolutely. Love it. Love it. Oh my gosh, Dave, we have covered all sorts of content and I know we've got about eight more episodes worth of content that we could probably just run through right now. But we need to wrap this up to my chagrin. So for people who do want to know more, and I'm guessing there are going to be a lot of them after this conversation, how can people learn more about you? To connect with me on LinkedIn. That is, uh, I started year, a couple of years ago, just sharing everything I've ever learned, hundreds of posts now on LinkedIn. And so please connect with me on LinkedIn or go to my brand new website. It's DaveNoltv.com. So D-A-V-E-N-O-L-L-T-V. And of course, we will put that in the show notes. So check them out on LinkedIn. DaveMillTV.com. I've had so much fun. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dave. Thank you, Dr. Laura. Always, always good to talk to you. And to everybody else out there, thank you for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts so we can help even more people to increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, of course, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please, Go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.